0: Welcome to Leading the Way, the Bible teaching of Atlanta pastor and the author of multiple best-selling books, Dr.
1: Michael Youssef. I think most of us know that Jesus' command to his disciples to make more disciples, we call this the Great Commission. Their call was to make disciples. You notice he didn't ask them to make Christians. He said to make disciples. He didn't say, go and make some believers. He said to make disciples. And so we only endeavor, and the only true call of the church of Jesus Christ is to make disciples for Jesus. Not the apostles' disciples, not this church's disciples, not pastors' disciples, not church leaders' disciples. Only disciples of Jesus. Pastors and
0: teachers worldwide use familiar words of Matthew 28, Go and make disciples. And they use that as a challenge to embrace a lifestyle of evangelism. Today, a deeper look at the Great Commission that is sure to change your life. This is the beginning of a series geared to tighten the embrace of God's call on your life as the days of 2024 begin to unfold. So listen with me as Dr. Michael Youssef begins today's teaching time on Leading
1: the Way Audio. Now turn with me to the Word of God, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Now the word disciple in Greek, matheo actually, carries a marvelous combination of meanings. It means placing your whole trust in the master Jesus it means wholeheartedly following Jesus but here it comes this is really the most important part it means a life of continuously imitating Jesus imitating Jesus and obeying Jesus there's so many people say I'm a follower of Jesus but they never reflect or imitate Jesus is love, Jesus is mercy, Jesus is grace, and Jesus is forgiveness. And that is why Jesus, in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 31, He said, If you abide in My Word, and only if you abide in My Word, then and only then you can be called My disciples. There are some people who teach that you come to Jesus and you receive Him as your Savior. That's called hell insurance policy. Then sometime, somewhere down the road, you receive Him as Lord. And then sometime, somewhere down the road, you become a disciple. Now, beloved, listen to me. That is not biblical. That is not biblical. When a person genuinely confesses Christ to be his or her only Savior and Lord. Immediately, that person receives the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit that opened their eyes anyway. They immediately become disciples. Now, to be sure, they may not have all the biblical knowledge. They don't have all the biblical training. They're not even aware of some biblical issues. But they must become disciples nonetheless. It's the start of the journey. Listen to me. Taking Jesus' piecemeal or treat it like a dinner where you start with the, the starter, then you go on the main court, then you have dessert. No, 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 no. That is not biblical. That is not biblical. In the next message, I'm going to show you how many times Jesus said, you cannot be my disciple. You cannot be my disciple. You cannot be my disciple. So much for the positive preaching of Jesus. In fact, a disciple is far more than a learner. It's far more than a learner. It's far more than just filling your head with some information, with some knowledge. A disciple is an imitator of the teacher and the master. I have a hunch that the reason so many people do not take seriously Jesus' commission of discipling others is because they feel inadequate... Or they feel ill-equipped, or that they do not comprehend what that making disciples is for Jesus, not for themselves. Or they feel that they have to do it depending on their own knowledge, on their own abilities, on their own know-how, or in their own learnings or their own steam. And so they never attempt to make disciples. In reality. If you are a parent, you are making disciples. Whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not, you are a disciple-maker. But when you understand that the very secret of making disciples is pointing to Jesus, not to ourselves, it takes the pressure off. In my second year in seminary, one of the guest speakers in the chapel and he was preaching on the Apostle Paul's words, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. I urge you to be imitators of me as I am an imitator of Christ. That was a turning point in my life because I began to wonder for some time, how can a flawed guy like me can tell somebody, imitate me? It was a very, very testing time for me. But that's what really, because of my ignorance on my part, has nothing to do with the text. Because now, 50 years later, I can say to someone, imitate me. Imitate my absolute fidelity to the Word of God. Imitate my unwavering commitment to seeking and obeying Jesus. Imitate my loving and adoring Jesus. Imitate my trusting completely in the Word's of Jesus in the Word of God, imitate my refusal to compromise the gospel. But you have to understand also that some of you have already heard me say this several times, and also quoting the Apostle Paul, that there is nothing good dwells in me in my flesh other than Jesus. And that is why in the Thessalonians and to the Thessalonians, Paul says something different. He says to the Corinthians, be imitators of me. Now remember, he spent a lot of time in Corinth. He spent a lot of time in Ephesus. He spent three weeks in Thessaloniki. Three weeks. And yet he could say to them, after three weeks, you became imitators of us. Well, they're fast learners, <laughs> and the Corinthians are dull, <laughs> they're dumb. No. He said, you have become imitators of how? He gives us the answer. Thank God I don't have to bring the answer. You welcome the message in the midst of severe suffering with joy. And so, I don't want anyone, at the sound of my voice, anyone who would say, oh, I cannot disciple another person. Oh, no, no, I can't possibly impact the life of another or I cannot, I cannot do this. I, I can't pour my life into somebody else's. Now to be sure, there are some young believers who need somebody to walk with them. And that's very understandable. They need an older, not in chronological age, but older walking with Jesus, a person mature in Christ, to walk with them for a period of time, and then they become disciples of others. And that is why. I often say you are either discipling someone or someone discipling you. If you have been a disciple of Jesus and been walking with Jesus, then you need to make a conscious decision to disciple another person. And that is why all biblical discipleship must be founded upon the Word of God. Remember this, from the very beginning, from the very beginning, and this is one thing I don't understand. I will when I go to heaven. God chose to communicate with human beings with a voice of other humans. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. I really don't. Because I know how flawed I am. And God uses flawed human beings. Yes. He uses imperfect human beings. Yes. Yes, he uses inadequate human beings, but it is not the messenger, but the message. It is not the mouthpiece, but the master. What? All authority has given on earth and heaven, given to me, and therefore go. That's the anchor. This is the core. This is the heart of discipleship. You and I can only disciple others by the authority Not ours. We have none. We have none of Jesus. We are all serving under His authority. Something else we all need to know. There is a historic reason as to why the resurrected Jesus, for the 40 days after the resurrection, before His ascension, that He spent time with the disciples emphasizing this point over and over and over and over. We have it only five times in the four Gospels in the book of Acts. I am personally convinced he must have said that to them 500 times. In the 40 days, every time he was with them, he emphasized the necessity for them to take the initiative and disciple others, not to sit on their blessed assurance and wait till people come to them five times. Be my witnesses. As the Father sent me, I send you. Be my disciples. Make disciples. Why? Because when God chose Israel of old, He chose them for only one purpose. One purpose. As to be light to the nations. He chose them to disciple the nations. He chose them so that they may reveal the one true Yahweh to the pagan world. That is the reason for the choice of Israel. But what did Israel do? They became inward-looking. They were enamored with themselves. It must be something really special about us that made God call us and choose us. Uh, They began to think of themselves as cut above, and, and they began to look down their noses of other people. God chose. Moses tried to disabuse them of this fallacy, but they wouldn't listen. Not only they became inward-looking, they became navel-gazers. They formed a bless-me club, and at best, they forgot why God had chosen them. They forgot That the gospel actually is in Genesis chapter 12 when God chose Abraham and He said, In you, all the nations and the families of the earth shall be blessed. How? By coming to know the God of Abraham. That is the very reason why God called them. Then you hear the message of the prophets, prophet after prophet after prophet. I mean, it's ad nauseum kept appealing to them. Get out of your self-worship. Get out of your self-centeredness. Serve Yahweh. Make Yahweh known. Time and time again, Israel refused until they found themselves in Babylon, in exile. One of the best examples was Jonah. Jonah actually is a microcosm of Israel's refusal to obey the commission of God, to be light to the nations. He's a microcosm. And finally, God sent their seed of Abraham in a singular. Their seed of Abraham. In fact, Galatians and Romans both, Paul spells it out. It's not seeds in the plural, it's seed. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. God sent His one and only Son, the descendant of Abraham, to disciple the nations and make Him known. And that is why all of Jesus' disciples are the spiritual descendants of Abraham. There can be no doubt in anybody's mind that we in the West, Christians, believers, disciples of Jesus in the West, are being out and out attacked by the culture. Many Christians in the West, therefore feeling they're under siege. Am I right? Right now. They feel that the government is against Christian believers and biblical believers. They feel that education system is working against them, and rightly so. They feel that the big corporations is persecuting faithful Bible-believing Christians. We feel that the media is all working against us. These are facts. Nobody can deny those. I can show you example after example. Some of those are known to me, whether it be here in this country or in England, in Scotland, in Canada, in Australia, in Europe, where men and women of God who will take a biblical stand, they lose their job, and even worse. These are facts. They're absolutely true. These realities are real. These incidents are... Are more than incidental. So the question is, what do we do? What do the disciple of Jesus do under these circumstances? God's people have a choice. One choice is to get bogged down with all these problems, real problems, and forget our high calling of discipling others. Others get into feeling victimized, And they pull their head in. I'm a victim. I'm a victim. I'm a victim. Some are seeing certain politicians as their savior from this current painful situation. I heard someone the other day, a conservative talk show. I don't remember his name. He said, don't fall in love with politicians. They will always find a way to disappoint you. Listen to me. Some are getting and developing what I call a siege mentality. And they're living behind a prison bar of their own making. Sadly, this is a choice so many people are getting into now. But beloved, please, I plead with you, listen to me. That is not the choice that God, our Master, the Lord Jesus Christ, is expecting of His faithful children, His faithful disciples. This is not the response that God expecting from His bride, the church, the one who said, All authority on heaven and on earth given to me, therefore go. Based on Jesus' commission, God's people must fearlessly invade the enemy's territories. God's people must courageously disciple the nations, regardless of the circumstances. God's people who love God with all their hearts must occupy, and that's what Jesus said, occupy till I come. That is to occupy every aspect of life until He comes. Listen to me. People who fear not Satan and his emissaries, people who fear not insult or degradation, people who fear not persecution, or intimidation. People who fear not losing their reputation or even life itself. People who must never forget that when Jesus gave that commission to the 500s, none of them were professional priests or rabbi. None of them were occupying prominent place in the synagogues maybe with the exception of Nicodemus none of them had high degrees in philosophy or science or religion but they saw that his power is enough they saw that his authority is enough they saw that his presence is enough they saw that his strength is enough and it was said of them they've turned the world upside down and here we're hiding in our basements. I want to give you a very short history of how, how this temptation, for 2,000 years, how this temptation of neglecting the commission, the command of Jesus of discipling others have worked throughout the history of the church. Even in Jerusalem, where the, Jesus uttered those words only a few years later, a few years in Jerusalem, they got so comfortable And they don't want to move. God had to send them persecution to get them out of Jerusalem. And we see, even knowing from history and before our own eyes, when one generation gets comfortable and refuses to obey the Great Commission, the next generation gives it up altogether. Gives it up altogether. In Jerusalem, a generation after the ones who have heard With their own ears from the mouth of Jesus, they got comfortable and became inward-looking. The Holy Spirit of God moved the center of discipleship to Antioch. And Antioch became the center of discipling of the nations in obedience to the commission of God. But when believers in Antioch got so comfortable and they ceased to make disciples, God moved the center to Alexandria. And it was in Alexandria for two hundred years. Read the early Christian fathers from Alexandria school and then two hundred years later, that vision was lost in the Church of Alexandria, and God moved it to Rome and There, in Rome, immorality and sensuality has gripped the nation and the Vatican itself, though some popes had so many children, they did not know how many. immorality captured Rome. God moved the center of discipling to Germany. And when the Germans became under the siege of self-importance, God moved that center to England. And from there, the message of discipling of nations echoed throughout the world. But some of those saw that the English church has become so self-absorbed, self-protecting of their bureaucracy, they were spiritually dead. They were more interested in the institution than making disciples. Some of those got on a boat called the Mayflower, and they came to the New World with a sole purpose of making Christ known to their natives. And the United States today has been the center of disciple-making for over 150 years. They saw the importance of the Great Commission, now that American churches have become so self focused and self serving and self seeking, God is moving on. It breaks my heart in two. Now we stand at the precipice, at the edge of disobedience to the Great Commission, all together. Will we obey and be blessed? Will we obey and be blessed? The greatest mistake, the greatest mistake anybody would make is to say, oh, this message is just not for me. the biggest mistake you'll be making. And you say, this is for the ministers and this is for the missionaries, this is for the people. No, 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 no. No, it's for every single believing disciple of Jesus. Beloved, there is no limit. There is no limit to what God can do with an obedient disciple. Man or woman, how about the time I was giving you hundreds of examples from history, from history, unknown men and unknown women who impacted the world for Jesus in their obedience. So let's impact our world once all at a time.
0: Encouragement to live life as a faithful disciple of Jesus. You're listening to Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. Learn more about Dr. Youssef and the expanding worldwide ministry of Leading the Way when you visit ltw.org. Now, you can also call 866-626-4356.
1: Do you have a desire to know God in a more intimate way, but don't know how to start? Leading the Way has a life-changing resource that's just what you need. Dr. Youssef has authored a devotional book that offers practical insight from God's Word to help you navigate the challenges of life. It's called The Daily Way. Each of the 365 Daily Way readings offer biblical truth about the topics of everyday life, including relationships, prayer, praise, foundational teachings of Jesus, current culture, and much more. You'll look forward to digging deeper into God's Word, guided by a pastor with a passion for God's truth. Get details about a special offer for The Daily Way when you visit ltw.org. ltw.org.
0: The Daily Way is a perfect tool to deepen your roots in God's Word, preparing you to answer the call to disciple those who God has brought into your life. Right now, Dr. Youssef is making this powerful book the daily way available when you give a gift of any amount to the worldwide ministry of Leading the Way. Here's the number to reach a ministry representative. 866-626-4356 Or connect online at dot org, Or write to us at Leading the Way Post Office Box 20100, Atlanta, Georgia, 30325. This program is furnished by Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef, passionately proclaiming uncompromising truth around the world.